Welcome to Scope It Out. In this edition, guest host Dr. Amber Luong talks with Dr. Jeannie Bay about the article Feasibility of a Deep Learning-Based Algorithm for Automated Detection and Classification of Nasal Polyps and Inverted Papillomas on Nasal Endoscopic Images. Hi, welcome to Scope It Out, the official podcast of the International Forum of Allergy and Rhinology. I'm Dr. Amber Luong from McGovern Medical School at the University of Texas Health Science Center at Houston. I have invited Dr. Jinhee Bay from the Department of Electrical and Computer Engineering at the University of Kentucky to discuss her recent paper entitled Feasibility of a Deep Learning-Based Algorithm for Automated Detection and Classification of Nasal Polyps and Inverted Papillomas on Endoscopic Images. Hi, Dr. Bay. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, congratulations on your uh, recently accepted manuscript. You are one of two corresponding authors for this paper. The other one is Dr. Mei Yong Sang Yu from the Department of Otolaryngology at the University of Olsen College of Medicine in Seoul, Korea. Unfortunately, given the time differences, um, uh, Dr. Yu was unable to join us for this interview. But uh, again, welcome, Dr. Bay. How are you today? Great. Thanks a lot for inviting me for this discussion. I'm really happy to talk further about the manuscript. Excellent. Well, so tell me a little bit about this. I mentioned that there are two, uh, you, you are one of two uh, corresponding authors. Can you share with me your professional background to give us some context about, you know, what you're going to be focusing on uh, in terms of your responses and then how you and Dr. Yu embarked on this collaboration? So my research focuses on signal processing and machine learning mm. for the application in medicine. Maybe the term signal processing could be a bit unfamiliar for some of the audiences. Mm-hmm. And signal processing means that if you can think of set of values which you can plot as a graph, you can think that as a signal. So biological signals, for example, are muscle activities, brain activities, or heart dynamics. So the area of signal processing means processing those different kind of signals or analyzing them. And machine learning is the area of study, try to find the computational relationship or the model of input and output based on data. what I have done before was little wide area of, of application of using those two fields, which includes brain machine interfaces, using monkeys, intercortical neural signals, or healthy subjects, encephalography signals to find the mapping of parameters to control external devices such as robotic arm or computer cursors, or easy base source imaging for the epilepsy patients to mm-hmm. localize seizure onset zone, and also including the kinematic movement, kinematic analysis to understand the behavior, motor function of stroke participants. So you can see the very wide range of applications using signal processing and machine learning. So Dr. Yu and I were discussing about how impressive machine learning has been growing these days. Yeah. And one day he was asking, 
that he has few nazar endoscopic images of different type of classes or diseases. And he was asking, we have just a little number of images. Do you think machine learning can classify those? That brings me very like increasing interest for me because that problem is very interesting and mm. also challenging because the number of data, the number of images are limited. And the image, if you think about that, we can treat that as another type of signal. So I feel like, okay, these are special type of signal. And in principle, if there is a certain way, I may be able to classify those in a good way. So mm-hmm. that's how we initiated this project. Now, did you used to work together before? Because now I see that you're in Kentucky and he's still in Korea. Um, did you have a previous working relationship? No, this was the first time we worked together, but we knew each other in academia. I see. Oh, excellent. Well, great. So then um, once you identified this mutual interest um, based on your interest in um, machine learning, um, can you give us a little bit more background about machine learning? Because you're right, um, there has been a kind of an explosion, an interest of using machine learning to its application in the medical field, even in ear, nose, and throat. Some of the, the, the words that you use in this manuscript that I think might help our readers understand the manuscript better are, can you explain what deep learning is and convolutional neural networks? Can you, is there a way to kind of help us who, you know, who are not in that world understand what those two processes are? So to explain that, I need to bring a concept of neural, how neural network works. Okay. Neural network is a special type of machine learning algorithm which has a special structure, including input, hidden, and output layers. And you can think each layer has certain number of units, and these units from each layers are connected each other. Okay. And those connections can be changed, and those connections can be represented as a numerical value, and people are calling those as weights. So by changing these weights, we could have some numerical computational representation of each unit, so based on input Units numerical representation, we can multiply and sum or apply some of function to have this different value. Then you can have another repre- numerical representation in unit in the hidden layer and also in the same way in the output layer. So deep learning, the concept of deep learning was introduced once people have started working in the neural network and adding multiple number of layers. Okay. So in some literature, you people have may figure out that when the layer, number of layers are, are few, such as two or three layers, people call those as shallow neural network. But the number of layers of hidden layer increases, people start calling those as deep neural network. Okay. So those have shown a promising performance, and that is the numerical computation 
of finding proper weight of those connections of multiple hidden layers are called deep learning. So when it comes to, oh, I'm so sorry, but I was just trying to think, like trying to apply it to your study when you're taking these nasal endoscopies. So is every point of image analysis a different layer? So those nasal images, post-process image, Uh nasal images, can be represented as input layers, unit numbers. I see, okay. So that can be considered as input numbers, and then mm-hmm. these numbers go to the hidden layers, which are connected to those weights. Okay. And the convolutional neural network is a special type of neural network with a special structure and oh, a special way of computing these hidden units, and this has been commonly applied for images because it's a special characteristic of computation, which means that each convolutional layer takes a template. You can think of of square boxes of image as Mm -hmm. a template, which is smaller than the original image, which means smaller than the input images. Mm-hmm. Then these templates are slide in the input images over columns and also rows to figure out which portion of image matches the best. Okay. So the portion or location of the image which match with this template will have a highest or strongest connection to the image to the certain unit with this template. Mm-hmm. So that is a way the convolutional layer works in the convolutional neural network. Convolutional neural network means neural network with a hidden layer of special structure of convolutional layer. Got it. So you did uh, uh, kind of allude to that the images are sort of pre-processed, and you you start mm-hmm. talking about um, some of that uh, pre-processing of the nasal endoscopic images mm-hmm. in order to then be kind of evaluated by the network. So can yeah. you go over? Um, let's say you you mentioned um, approximately a hundred. Um, normal 100 nasal polyps and inverted papilloma images were uh, taken um, and and processed. And you mentioned using a transfer learning strategy. Um, Can you go into that a little bit? What does that mean, transfer learning strategy? So if you think about the nature of deep neural network, because it has a multiple hidden layers, then it means the it will require lots of weights, okay. lots of parameters to figure out what will be the value for these connections. Okay. But as this number of layer increases, the number of parameter increases, but we have really limited number of images, then we need to figure out an efficient way to figure out, okay, with the limited images, how can you find that many parameters? Mm-hmm. So one idea was we applied was transfer learning. It means we take a network pre-trained with different type of images, which is from ImageNet. ImageNet is image data page, data, database 
which mm-hmm. contains so many different images with different cat- categories, which okay. are the 1.2 million images and 1,000 categories. So you can think this is just normal images of cup or bath and human's pay- face, then those are the categories. Is this image about the human face or is it about the um, fruit or a vegetable? Mm-hmm. So now those will be the categories. Then this ResNet we were using was pre-trained with these many images with these different number of categories, which I was expecting that, okay, through this convolutional neural network, if it is already pre-trained with different images, at least it should have a capability of characterizing these images' characteristics, which means, okay, does this image have certain emphasis of shape or certain gradations or the edge or any colors? So hmm. this network is expected at each layer what is the main characteristic of the of these images. I so see. even though these categories are not really related to this another poly or inverted papilloma. Right. It already has some understanding of images. Okay, if this image has this certain characteristic of a shape or edges I or see. border, if the network has the information, okay, it may be close to certain category. But the key is, on top of that, we need to classify for our characteristic classification, which are normal, not a police, and IP. Mm. Then what we did is, okay, we are taking majority of those parameters from this image net, pre-trained image net. Then we just connect the upper layer corresponding only from the last hidden layer to the upper layer has new connection so that it can classify these three classes. So we transfer the information from these pre-trained networks. I see. And so that's why when, when you wrote your discussion, you were happy to see that utilizing this transfer learning strategy, utilizing this kind of pre-existing model, um, right. that it works so well to differentiate your nasal endoscopic images mm-hmm. of just 100 in each group, 100 controls, 100 regular nasal polyps, and 100 inverted papillomas. Is that is that um, okay? Mm-hmm. I see. Because normally you would require thousands of these images then in order to um, kind of train a, a given model. Right. Right. So. Convolutional neural network has shown really promising classification capabilities, but considering the number of images we have, if we train this convolutional neural network from the scratch, it won't be able to provide proper classification. Taking some transfer information from different, I mean, pre-trained networks so that we can take some more information from different images and then we kind of modify the structure so that it can classify our own images. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. Now, so where did this, like, 
pre-existing model come from? Is this in the public realm, or is this something that you had uh, created, this algorithm? What, did this already exist? Existing, and then we're known in the computer vision area, and this this ImageNet is publicly available. They're providing the data and also the pre-trained, some of the pre-trained network are also available in public. I see. Okay. Well, so now let's – thank you so much for that background. I think that helped quite a bit to sort of understand um, your approach and your strategy towards um, this this question. So um, let's go into some of the, the findings that you saw. So once you had a training set for your for the algorithm for your different categories and then your validation, I think you then compared how well the model did to clinicians. What were your findings when you did that comparison? How well your model did compared to other clinicians, and give us some uh, background of who these clinicians, what they did, and, and and what their background was in order to look at these nasal endoscopies. When we were comparing over accuracy, which means the average classification accuracy over these three classes, the model versus human experts were compatible. And mm-hmm. the human expert, we included three residents who are under training for these Specialist. In addition, we included three board-certified rhinologists. Okay. So, for these six human experts, average performance versus the average performance of the model were really similar. But one key finding, one main difference we found is that the model was generally performed a lot better than human experts to classify especially for another polyps. In the human cases, as you may have seen in the figure, humans are really trained good to classify the normal cases. They showed over 97% accuracy if the image is normal and they are correctly classified normal. But okay. if we see IP and MP, the accuracy degrades. But in terms of this network, it was showing barely similar performances over each classes. And MP showed that results and higher MP classification accuracies. But this is related to an objective we set for the neural network, which means when we are training the network, we try to find optimal good enough values for those weights. But mm-hmm. we need to provide some metric. Okay, what should what should be the criteria we can find these proper parameters? And what we said is, okay, we want to find the values of parameter of network so that the average accuracy, average classification accuracy is the highest. So while the network is trying to figure out those parameters, it tried to find, okay, although it was compensating, degrading some performances of normal cases, it mm-hmm. tried to crank up the classification accuracy of MP so that the average accuracy can be high, high enough. 
Mm-hmm. So that was our objective function, objective of the network to train. So if I understand that correctly, what mm-hmm. you're telling me is that humans, when they looked at the nasal endoscopic exams, the, the pictures that you had, the human uh, clinicians overall did very well identifying healthy controls. But this accuracy degraded when they were trying to differentiate between nasal polyps and inverted papilloma. Right. Uh, with an accuracy, I think if I remember correctly, about like 70%. Is that mm-hmm. something correctly, something like that? But then what you're, but the, the model in, they optimize accuracy for all three images. So they were not as good as identifying healthy, normal endoscopic exam, but they were ultimately better at differentiating between, or accurately differentiating nasal polyps from inverted papilloma. Is that what I'm hearing? Right, right. So for the values, the human experts showing IP around 45. Oh, 45. Accuracy, mm-hmm. But model shows around 57 percentage. Mm-hmm. But the MP cases, it shows around 78 for the human cases, and model shows 83 percentages. So it is showing that for the classification of MP and IP, you can see the increasement of the performance accuracies. But if we compare the normal, the human shows over 97 mm. percentages, yeah. but the model shows around 80 percentages. Fascinating. So what do you envision is the applicability of the model? Like, is, is there a, a software that someone later can download or use to analyze their nasal endoscopic exams for, you know, evaluation or confirmation of what they think it is? What do you see? What's the applicability? Our ultimate core is, okay, we want to develop the software or app so that the clinician can really use in practice. Mm-hmm. And this is a initial stage to see if that's really possible. Mm-hmm. But at this moment, all the software we implemented are available and the GitHub we presented in the manuscript, and then which including that each step of pre-processing and also post-processing, even for the GradCam application which shows which area of the images was more highlighted based on the network performance. And mm-hmm. all these code to present the result is available in GitHub. But our future plan is, okay, using this idea, can we make this algorithm more applicable in practice? The other idea is if we include larger number of images, including mm-hmm. different cases, can we expect a similar performance? In principle, I expect, but if there are large very intersubject variation, the performance of this network will be really different. Then mm-hmm. I'm curious if we include different, more variation of these images, including more number of images. I'm curious how these networks behave. So you still need to do some future studies, including right. a little bit bigger spectrum of maybe mm-hmm. heterogeneity or presentation, 
Because right now what you're saying is that there's still quite a bit of optimization of the images prior to the algorithm being able to really analyze and have the accuracy. So right now it's sort of optimized at, um, like the image, everything, the conditions are optimized for the model to be successful, but you're hoping to get it to where you're a little bit more practical um, mm-hmm. images or a lot of the variations that we sometimes see in nasal right. endoscopic exams. I mm-hmm. get it. Well, fast, but the ultimate goal, though, is um, maybe to generate some sort of app or software that can be mm-hmm. um, downloaded or utilized by clinicians for that type of, you know, pre-surgical evaluation or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I think you, your introduction was great in the fact that you alluded to the fact that the management of, let's say, unilateral nasal polyps is very different or can be very different from the management of uh, unilateral inverted papilloma, um, and therefore it's quite important to have that, if, if it's possible, that information before um, any sort of management treatment is initiated when you see this kind of like mass in the in the nasal cavity. Well, that is fascinating. So um, any uh, ideas or hints about your future-related projects, uh, future collaborations between yourself and Dr. Yu? Yeah, Dr. Yu is currently establishing collaboration and network to have multi-center research trial by Mm -hmm. sending this idea, including variety of cases of Mm -hmm. other endoscopic images, and I hope we can expand our study to generalize further of our application. Well, excellent. It was a pleasure speaking with you today, and thank you so much for sharing your expertise. Um, your background is in uh, engineering, right? I mean, your computer science engineering, or what would you say your background is? Electrical and computer engineering. Oh, so mainly electric engineering and computer, a little bit of kind of computer science. <laughs> well, you did a, a, a great job translating those technical terms for us, and I really appreciate that. Um, have a great afternoon, and thank you so much for your time, Dr. Bay. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. Scope It Out is a co-production of the International Forum of Allergy and Rhinology and Wiley. All opinions in this podcast are those of podcast hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect those of Wiley or the sponsors.